Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing tonight? Wow. It's like you guys are cold or something, you know? I really thought we were back to being Florida and then 40 degrees this morning. Like, ew, what are we, not Florida? Um, Yeah, we're in March. We should be like wearing tank tops and shorts everywhere we go by now, right? So we are, uh, if, if you're new with us, we have been journeying through the book of Philippians. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now, where we were hanging out last week was in the example of a guy named Timothy. You might know a little bit about Timothy. We talked about him last week. He, he was one of uh, the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter's closest disciples who he trained and equipped and sent out. And now he was preparing to send Timothy to go and be his representative to this church in Philippi. And he did that not just to give them information that he was going to be going, but for more than that, that he was an example worth emulating. So we talked about his example, that he was this compassionate presence in the life of others, that he was a shepherd who was going to offer genuine care to the church in Philippi, even though he didn't know them well. He was going to be a consistent presence in times of both difficulty and beauty with them. That's a pretty cool friend to have in your corner, right? So now, Timothy... He was well known in the life of the early church. Hence why Paul uses this phrase. He says, you know his proven worth. That while you guys don't know him personally, you know his proven worth. You've known what he has done. You know who he is. So Timothy was pretty famous in the Christian world in the early church. He went with Paul planting churches, making disciples, training up new leaders. In in modern language, he would have been like a Christian influencer, right? Like he would have been well-known, well-thought of. Now, I'm sure that if you would have talked to Timothy, he would for sure reject that kind of a label. But it's, it's obvious that Timothy's reputation preceded him. Hence why Paul could write, you know his proven worth. So it could be easy to think that the type of people that we're supposed to emulate, the type of people that are supposed to be examples to us are the people who are impressive or who get stage time, who get limelight. It could be easy to go just like the people like Timothy. Those are the people we look at. And you see that kind of blends in with our culture. Right? In our culture, who are the people that we tend to value in our world? Depending on our personality, it's usually either the eloquent, the well thought, the well spoken, or it's the loud, the brash, the, the super honest in their own way, the, the, the vocal. Um, these can be bloggers, influencers, bell selling authors, politicians, whoever. Those type of voices that are very in your face, and for whatever respect, they could be labeled as impressive. Now, some of those voices, probably not the best ones to be elevating up, right? But some of them are awesome followers of Jesus. And we can look at them and go, wow, that is somebody awesome to follow after as they are following after Jesus. I was thinking about it this way. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Bob Goff at our Winter Garden Camp. He did this night. Maybe some of you guys were there for it. Bob Goff is awesome. I've never met him personally, but I've read his books, heard him talk. He, he is just a very gifted communicator communicator and from everything I see loves Jesus passionately. And whenever he talks, you read his book, you're like, man, I want to know Jesus the way this guy knows Jesus. Now here's the thing, whether it's the guy like Bob Goff, Bob Goff or a Jen Wilkin or a Matt Chandler or whoever, they might be awesome 
people for us to learn from, which absolutely we should and can. But we're never going to have dinner at their house. We're never going to know them personally. We're never going to do life with them, even if you happen to stand in a line after a speaking engagement and you shake their hand. We're not going to do life with those people. But you see, in our world, in our culture, that's who we're so tempted to elevate is the people with some celebrity status. And the reality is that if we got to know Bob Goff for five minutes outside of it, we might realize that he is actually a normal human as well who has flaws and, thing, and uh, has flaws and insecurities and other things about him that if we knew him, we'd go, oh, yeah, you're a human. So we have to ask is our focus so easily on being impressive? Is that, where does that come from? Does it stem from the culture of our world? Or is it one that's according to the culture of the kingdom of God? You see, this is important for us to wrestle with because a major theme of the letter to the church in Philippi is learning the mindset of Jesus from the examples of others. And I don't know about you, but for me, it can be so easy to just focus my mindset on the people who are impressive or have podcasts or blogs or books and all those other things to learn from when we are surrounded by other faithful followers of Jesus all the time who are actively living out the mindset of Jesus. And so far, Paul has given both himself and Timothy as examples. And like I said before, they're both well-known. They were both individuals who would have some type of a celebrity status wherever they went, whatever church they came to visit. So they might be able to overlook this next example that Paul is going to give. And this is where we're at in Philippians chapter two. It's the example of a guy named Epaphroditus. So I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for tonight, starting in verses 25 through 30. So here's what Paul says. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See, in this passage, we discovered this main thought, this main takeaway, that the idea that living out the mindset of Jesus doesn't require impressiveness, but it is called to lead us to a life of faithful service of others. Again, our focus can so easily be on what is impressive and learning from people who are impressive, but the mindset of Jesus isn't lived out on a stage, even this one. This is one place, but it's lived out over coffee tables. It's lived out in Bible studies. It is lived out in break rooms. It is lived out as we are learning from one another what it means to live like, act like, think like, and desire like Jesus. So here's something super interesting that we get from the off with this guy, Epaphroditus. It's his name. We learn a lot about a story just from his name. Now, here's why that matters. Because his name actually tells the story of the God who pursues, the God who sees. See, his name is Epaphroditus. This is a male derivative of the, the goddess Aphrodite, who is one of the Roman goddesses in the Roman pantheon of gods. 
So clearly from the off, we discover that he is Roman, but likely more than that, he comes from a, a pagan religiously devoted family who worships the pantheon of gods, hence him getting the religious name. Now, we don't know if he was born in Philippi or not, but what we do know, as we've talked about before, is that Philippi is little Rome, a city built with such an, a focus on honoring Rome and its customs, its dress, its money, its culture, its music, everything. Of honoring Caesar and seeing him as glorious and of looking out at the pantheon of gods and elevating them. So that's the world that Epaphroditus lives in as a citizen of Philippi. Now, the assumption would be that somebody like Epaphroditus, somebody who comes from a religious background, somebody that comes from a Roman background, would be somebody that we might naturally look at and go, this is an unlikely person to come to know Jesus. This isn't somebody who's the most likely Yet at some point, Epaphroditus' story crosses paths with Jesus and his followers, and his life is never the same. You see, Epaphroditus is a living example of encouragement that Jesus pursues after the hearts of women and men. Not that we pursue him. See, he seeks to redeem and restore, to bring sons and daughters in the forever family of God. See, Epaphroditus didn't earn it. Jesus bought it. He didn't pursue Jesus. Jesus pursued him. And there is no such thing. There is no such thing as a likely convert to Christianity. According to the scriptures, we are dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once walked. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Isn't that incredible? None of us are likely. Epaphrodites wasn't likely. Paul wasn't likely. Timothy wasn't likely. We were dead. But God. See, this is how we know this is true about Epaphrodites' story because we could look at him as a, as a most likely a religious Roman citizen and go, man, don't waste your time on this guy. I, he's probably not gonna come to know after Jesus. But yet that's the story we get here. We see that this is exactly what Epaphrodites is doing now. And I think this is important for us and maybe this is important for you to hear tonight. Maybe you have a friend or a family member, um, a coworker, or maybe it's a world leader that you're like, they would never come to know Jesus. You're tempted to stop praying for them. You have just exhausted yourself, like hoping and praying that they would come to know Jesus. And you don't know if they're worth the time. Here's the reality. For you or me to know Jesus, it was a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. Anytime somebody goes from death to life in Christ, that is a miracle of God. Hence why angels are celebrating and hooping and hollering when somebody comes to faith because God has performed a miracle in the hearts of men and women. And I think that's something that I need to remember. And that is the type of example that Epaphroditus immediately brings. And we, now let's go back to the, the first verse. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And he, gives some, and he gives some clarity about how he views him relationally to him. He says, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So Paul first describes Epaphroditus as brother. Brother. 
Before mentioning fellow worker, fellow soldier, the most important relational dynamic that he mentions is brother. That we are family within the family of God. That within the church, before we are gospel partners, before we are fill in the blank, we are brothers and sisters. See, it's just so easy to be tempted to not live and realize that. We so easily get frustrated with one another. We can lose confidence in heart in one another. We can lose the focus even on one another's humanity. I mean, a lot of you are past or present cast members. You know that it's not fun when you are reduced to being a number, right? It's not fun when a guest or a manager or a coworker treats you as, as if you're less than human, simply a commodity to go fulfill a task. But yet so easily we do that with one another within the church. See, in the family of God, though, it should not go less than that. It should actually go beyond that because we're not just coworkers before anything else. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, we're family. And not like a metaphor. The metaphor of the family of God is not a thing. It is an actuality. A metaphor would be like the, the body of Christ to, to define the church. That some of us, Paul talks about, are like a pinky toe. Some of us are an ear. Some of us are a nose. All of us are different, have different roles. That's a metaphor. The family of God is not a metaphor of the scriptures. It is the truest thing about us. It's the truest thing about us. It doesn't change. All of the earthly family dynamics will one day pass away. But our family dynamic as members of the family of God, as brothers and sisters, will never change. Allie and I, I love being married to Allie. We have been married now for five years and I have come to terms with the fact that on the other side of eternity, our marriage will not exist anymore. That familial relationship will not be what defines us anymore. But we will be brother and sister in the family of God. And that's more meaningful than even that. It's the most meaningful relationship that we could ever have because it, what it dictates is that we are all siblings of the same father. So when we relate to one another, we are brothers and sisters and that does not, could not ever change and, if, and it's not that the other dynamics are irrelevant. It's just that the family dynamic is the most important dynamic. So when we relate to one another, we are called to see one another first and foremost as brothers and sisters. But then out of that, Paul lists a few different roles. He says that he is a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, my, your messenger, your minister to my needs. And now I love these. So let's go ahead and go one by one through these. First of all, he calls him a fellow worker. Now this is tied to a phrase that we talked about a few months ago in, in Philippians. This idea of being gospel partners. They have a common mission together. They just have different contexts and responsibilities. Paul and Epaphroditus are in very different circumstances. For example, Paul is an apostle who has been chanting planting churches for decades, but now he finds himself imprisoned for the gospel. Epaphroditus is free to go. He can go wherever he wants, and now he is being sent back to Philippi. He doesn't carry the same role or responsibilities that Paul does, but he is a gospel partner. He's a fellow worker. That's, what def that's part of us. We are all, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are fellow workers, not just with us here in this room, but with the church around 
Orlando, the church around the globe. We are brothers and sisters, gospel partners on the same mission of seeing the gospel made known, of fulfilling the great commission to go make disciples of all nations. So they're gospel partners. They're also fellow soldiers. Now, here's what's interesting about this phrase, fellow soldiers. The Greek word that's at the root of this is the Greek word stratios. Now, that is a word that was meant not just for a generic word like soldier. It's actually meant for the high-ranking military officials that are in strategy meetings. So think the war room at like the White House or the Pentagon, right? When all the bigwigs get together to discuss really big issues. That's the kind of phrase that he's using to describe Epaphroditus. That he is actually elevating him up, saying, he is my fellow soldier. You might be tempted to think because our roles are different, our responsibilities are different, that somehow he is not just as vital to the mission. He absolutely is. He is my fellow soldier. But then he turns it from being my to your. He says, your messenger. See, Epaphroditus is a sent one. He didn't go to Paul rogue. He was commissioned to go fulfill a task, to carry out a mission on behalf of the church in Philippi. And then he says, your minister to my needs. See, we could be so tempted to easily think that, Epaphrod- that Paul is invincible. I mean, this is a guy who in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of waiting to find out if he is going to be receiving the death sentence, he is having joy and peace and hope. So you might look at a guy like Paul and go, man, he's got everything all put together. He's good. But Paul is actually expressing his need that he is about as vulnerable as it gets. He is in prison for the gospel under Caesar. Things are not looking great for him. He can't go work. He can't even provide for himself. And because of the Roman justice system, they didn't even provide him things like food, clothing, something to sleep on or something to cover up with at night. You needed friends and family to come alongside you, to take care of you. I mean, doesn't that sound like a really vulnerable place to be in? That sounds so scary, right? So Paul says, I had a great need and you sent Epaphroditus to take care of that great need. The word that's used here for minister in Greek is actually very similar to a word that we have, but it's original intent, which is the title of president. Now, you may not be aware of this, but when our nation was founded, the term president was used to dictate the role of the highest level of office in the federal government, not because it's impressive, but because it wasn't impressive. It was a, it was a title that was given in civic and social clubs in the 1700s to distinguish the public servant, the one whose job was, it was to go around taking care of everyone at a detriment to themselves. So this was supposed to completely stand counter to the idea of a king who was there to be served. And instead it would be an individual who would go and do the serving themselves on behalf of those that they were called to represent through election. Now it's that idea. That's the kind of person that Epaphroditus is. He is a minister at his own expense. The kind of person who goes at personal expense to serve others, not for glory, not for applause, not because he should, but out of sacrificial love. My brother, my fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my needs. 
And what an incredible example, right, for this church to now receive back. Because again, who are they tempted to elevate? They're going to get Timothy, guy that's so impressive by nature that his reputation precedes him. But they're also going to be receiving back one of their own, Epaphroditus. And he has this wealth of experience and knowledge and care and service. See, Epaphroditus lives in these, this role displaying out the mindset of Jesus, not looking to his own interests, but to the interests of others, caring humbly for Paul and now going back to care humbly for the church, drawing near to Jesus, not because Epaphroditus is so holy or uniquely awesome, but because Jesus is that good and he has already been brought near to him. See, I would imagine if we talked to Epaphroditus, if we were to, to come bring him up on stage and interview him, we'd find out that he, his view of himself is that of simply a beggar who has found a source of food. And out of his deep gratitude for what he has discovered in the gospel, he now goes forth to love, to serve, to care for everyone else out of what he has received. Not to prove anything to God, but out of the great love with which he has been loved. Man, I don't want to hang out with Epaphroditus. How about you guys? Isn't this the kind of example that we should seek to learn from? The humble and the caring? Now again, it's so easy in a world where, where the, whoever makes the loudest noise gets the most attention to forget about these kind of people. But yet these are the kind of people who are faithfully serving Jesus. Living out the mindset of Jesus, it doesn't require impressiveness but it does lead us to a life of faithful service of others. But that's not all. Paul continues, verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So we discover why Epaphroditus is being sent back because he wanted to return home, but not even for his own needs. Why does he say? Because you heard that he was ill. See, he's an example of other focused love. He wanted to return back to his home church. And he was more concerned that they would be worried when they found out that he was ill. So he wants to get sent back so that they would calm down. Isn't, do you find something encouraging about that? I mean, think about the world we live in where people, me included, are so easily captivated with things and we lose focus of the people that God has put right in front of us. You see, Epaphroditus is concerned for the Philippians, longing for them, distressed for them, but not because of himself, but because he has heard, he has heard that they have heard that he is ill. He's upset because they're upset. So he wants to come to reassure them, to calm them down. See, do we look up enough from our digital lives and our lives that are filled with frenetic pace to pay attention to the people that God has put right in front of us. And I'm preaching that first of all to me because it's so easy to look right past that. Epaphroditus is a guy I want to learn from. And the example that was being sent back to this church to continue to learn from. Now in verse 27 and 28, Paul continues, indeed, he was ill. So we actually find out how severe his illness was. Indeed, he was ill near to death. So not an easy illness, right? But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So apparently his illness was pretty severe. 
And Paul personally was affected by this. He didn't want Epaphroditus to die because he has already endured so much at this point in his life. He uses that phrase, sorrow upon sorrow. Um, the, the actual use of the language is the idea of waves crashing down as waves of grief just continuing to crash down on me. If any of you have ever um, suffered a severe loss, it can be hard. And then when another severe loss happens right after, or another difficulty happens, it's like waves of grief crashing down. And Paul is saying, I was afraid that that was going to happen to me. And I'm so thankful that Epaphroditus survived. But notice where Epaphroditus' emotions are in this. He's not focused on himself. He's freaking out, but he isn't freaking out about himself. He is freaking out because his friends and family back home are freaking out. He is about to, he is, he thought he was going to die, yet his concern is still for others. He is such an example of others-focused love. See, Epaphroditus came to Paul. Why? To minister to his needs, not for himself, to demonstrate love to Paul. But now he is going back to his home church in Philippi. Why? Again, it's not for himself, but to take care of them and their needs. Do you see Jesus in this? What I was thinking about this week was this kind of reminds me of Jesus when he is about to go to the cross and he looks to his uh, disciple, John, and he says, this, my mother, would you take care of her as if she were your own mother? Like if you, Jesus, don't you think Jesus gets a pass in just thinking singularly about what he is about to endure? But even in the moment of absolute grief and torture and torment, he is still thinking, of others. This is the mindset of Christ. And this is what Epaphroditus has discovered in Jesus. To get to the point where in verse 29 through 30, it says it this way. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See, in this passage, we discover how sacrificially Epaphroditus serves both Paul and now is going to go back and serve this church. And Paul says he deserves to be honored for that. I don't know if we in our world have a great culture of honor, of honoring one another, of lifting one another up. We're pretty quick to see, to see what goes wrong, to call the balls and strikes. But how easy, how tempted are we to look right past that and to focus on just the mistakes and not look to what, what God's doing in one another's life. So Paul is saying, honor Epaphroditus. We don't get the sense that he was, now here's some things about Epaphroditus. We don't get the sense that he had the role and responsibility that was nearly exactly what Paul's was. He wasn't writing letters to the early church. He wasn't actively, uh, we don't get the sense that he was actively leading the church in Philippi. Yet Paul says he deserves honor. And he even uses it as a teachable moment for all individuals who sacrificially serve others. What does he say again? He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. That anyone who is sacrificing and demonstrating such love to others should be raised up and honored. I think that's really cool. 
As I've been studying this passage of the last few weeks, it honestly, um, it, it, it brought me to thinking about this community and all of the incredible volunteers that we have who serve every Sunday and on Tuesdays and throughout the week and discipling other people in the community and grabbing coffee with one another and, and just stepping into one another's life. And I'm just blown away. It specifically brought my mind, though, to the individuals who serve at, um, at our campus as deacons. Now, that word deacon, it's, it's, it's a Bible word, but it specifically just means servant. They are the servant leaders, individuals who come up and serve and take care of and sacrificially love and minister to the needs of others within our context. Now, many of them serve as ministry leaders, serving and leading specific ministries within our campus context. Not all of them, but all of them care deeply and sacrificially for our biblical community. In fact, I want to share this story with you guys. Uh, we had our first ever deacons meeting a couple weeks ago, 10 years in, and we had our first deacons meeting. And uh, you want to know the main thing, of point of frustration that was brought up out of that meeting that I thought said everything about who we have serving. They, wanted, they were frustrated because they wanted more clarity about what the needs are so that they can step in and serve and care for more. Isn't that incredible? Don't you think that deserves to be honored? Like that kind of a heart. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm going to list them off just because it's not a list of 50, so I can just list them off. I mean, Amy Quo, Aubrey Stitt, Austin Hulse, Betsy Bourne, Billy Lotta, Chad Willard, Connor Bourne, Renee Tobinsey, Emily Mills, Jennifer Lotta, Jordan Perez, Josh Moser, Ali Connor, Lindley O'Brien, Mark Willard, Michael Quo, Shelby Stanhope. These individuals deserve honor. They're not the only people in our community that deserve honor. I believe each and every one of you who faithfully serve and care for the needs of one another deserve honor. But this is the group that God is bringing to my mind. And I want to honor these individuals because they are demonstrating something so countercultural in a world that says me first. They are prepared to serve sacrificially, to serve with open heart. And see, this is what it means and it looks like for the mindset of Christ to take hold of us. Jesus actually gives us a window into his mindset, right? Matthew 20, verses 27 through 28, he says, and whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't we get a, a window into the mindset of Jesus there? His heart is to serve, it's to care. See, Jim, Jesus demonstrated humble and sacrificial love. And this is what we are invited to enter into every single day as a biblical community. Because again, Epaphroditus, was not, we have nothing to believe that he was one of those Christian influencers of his day. He likely would have not written a best-selling book. His social media influence would have probably been restricted to just close friends and family with, you know, uh, he was, but he was a faithful servant. He was an individual who came and sacrificed at great cost himself. Paul says he was risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. These are the kind of individuals we are called to learn from. This is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates and that we have the opportunity to demonstrate to one another. 
See, living out the mindset of Jesus, it doesn't require impressiveness, but it leads to a life of faithful service of others. So what, what does this example lead for you? Where is the spirit of God calling you to serve? Maybe you don't call Mosaic home. You belong to another local church. Where is the space for you to step in and serve there? Within your family, work, your workplace environment, within the church, in your community, where can you live in the mindset of Jesus? Not to be served, but to serve. And if you are a follower of Jesus, know this, you are not called to be an observer or just a recipient, but an active participant in the story. And what's so incredible is that we learn to serve one another humbly and we get to be inspired from the examples of one another. And as we do so, we're challenged and transformed into the mindset of Jesus. If, if you look at an example of somebody like an Epaphroditus, you're like, I could never be like them. Start doing what he's doing. Start serving and caring. It happens over cups of coffees. It happens when you serve as a blue shirt. It happens when you're driving a CP shuttle. It can happen in a multitude of ways, but it happens when you take the first step. Speaking of which, last week when Allie was up here doing our closing, she gave a number of spaces and casted a vision for you to step in and serve if you belong to this campus, if you call this your biblical community. Step in and serve. She mentioned spaces like our CP college program shuttle squad, huge need, the production team, blue shirts, serve support, and more. Now, there are so many ways you can serve inside and outside of our community. So the question isn't, isn't, if you should, it's where you should. It's at what season are you in so that you can, at a capacity, it's not going to lead to your burnout. Simply put, it's the question, what is God calling you into? Because you see, at the end of the day, God isn't looking for you or I to be impressive. You might've heard this, this quote before, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So if you feel you know, like damaged goods or you don't feel smart enough or holy enough or uh, whatever enough, know that that's not the point. See, the Bible is filled with people who come from all different walks of life, all different skill sets and giftings, who discovered what it just simply looks like to faithfully walk in obedience after Jesus. And you know what's cool about this church? We are also filled from people from all walks of life with different skill sets and giftings who are called to simply discover what does it look like for me and us to live in faithful obedience. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And as they do, my simple challenge is that. Where does God desire for you to serve? Maybe you are and you're maxed out, or maybe you are, and you're not maxed out, and you have some margin, keep that margin in your schedule. That's a good thing. But if it is simply out of a desire to be comfortable, well, that's a different thing. So that's not for me to say, or anyone else to say, that is for you to go before the Lord and maybe talk to some wise counsel, people that know you and know your schedule, know your life well, and talk to them about this. What, do, you see it, do you see anything in this? I, I kind of feel like I would like to serve here, but what does that mean? And then my encouragement is simple. Start and find out. Have a conversation with a blue shirt, one of our Connect team members, and start finding your place to serve and care for one another. Would you pray with me?
Father, how cool is it that we get to come alongside in your rescue mission for the church. That is you come in to, to save and restore what is broken. We get to be active participants in the story. Lord, I thank you for examples of, of individuals like Epaphroditus, like the incredible deacons that we have who serve here, the men and women who serve here so faithfully here at the Disney campus. Like fill in the blank for each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would learn from the example of one another, not just looking to be impressive or follow impressive people in our eyes, but genuinely and authentically looking for what you are doing and who you are moving through and learning by their example. Lord, I know that this is not something that I or any of us can do on our own strength. So I pray that your spirit would work in us and through us in mighty ways so that we can do that. God, you are good and you are kind and you're gracious. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.